when they're on me and we're moving together. I feel like a tree. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm swaying with them. They're so powerful. But there's uh, 12,000 bees and, and they're definitely in charge. It's like Tai Chi, we're, we're, we're pushing the energy around us. It's definitely a duet. You've tuned in to How It Looks From Here, Life in the Time of COVID. I'm Mary Claire. It's easy to get stuck seeing and thinking about what's not working. And for sure, there's plenty that isn't. By now, you know the list. Public health, the economy, persistent social injustice, and all the while, the degradation of our climate, the air we breathe, the land, and water. Wildfires rage. Frighteningly frequent hurricanes are named with the Greek alphabet, all other lists of names exhausted. All the while, and maybe paradoxically, it's this same natural world that is always here to show us what is working, all the time, whenever we remember to look, to listen, and learn. After all, the natural world is the place where every bit of our bafflement is playing out. It's the fullness of ecology. Without the natural world, not one bit of our human drama would be possible. As luck would have it, today's interview with activist, artist, entrepreneur, and healer Sarah Mapelli was brimming with directional signs for how any of us can repair and activate our true nature, in nature, as nature. Sarah and I first met over 20 years ago on the dance floor, both of us amateur but lifelong dancers. About then, however, Sarah began dancing with bees, as an environmental activist focused on the vital role of bees in the Earth's well-being, Sarah began holding dance performance events centered on her careful duet with bees. Award-winning films and international acclaim have followed. Sarah connected with How It Looks From Here from her home on the Washington side of the Columbia River Gorge. Sarah, since this is a podcast about how it looks from here, what do you see out your window? Tell us what you see. How does it look from there? Today is a gray day. It's been just beautiful. In the last two days, um, the weather has shifted, and we're waiting for the sun to come back to finish getting ready for winter. So that means uh, chopping a lot of firewood. And you're not doing it in the rain today. <laughs> no, today, maybe have a break. Yeah. Not yeah. so bad. So yeah. I know as um, you've been spending almost 20 years now dancing with bees, for people who have no idea what it might mean to dance with bees, can you describe how you set this up so that the bees would wish to even identify you as a place to land? I sometimes have a pheromone on or I sometimes have the queen on me. So... <clears throat> They want to protect their mother, so they protect me. And I become more like 
the vessel we're moving on. Um, the sound is is uh, so loud. It's kind of propels me into this no thinking space. And it's the same kind of place I go into when I do energy work. So they're so similar. And the first time I danced with these, it made me realize how similar the energy is to doing energy work on people and to clear energy. And so that means that there are a lot of bees on your property, correct? No, this time we don't have any bees. Um, our really last strongest hive was, well, they died from the road crew spraying. Even though we've had signs up, they just you, they just don't listen. And um, it only takes mm, 12 or a few more bees to be covered in Roundup to kill a whole hive in within 48 hours. Because within 48 hours, they all touch each other. So... That's such a beautiful thing, isn't it? That they all touch each other within 48 hours. And the hives have how many bees? They can have up to 60,000 bees or more. Okay, and so only a dozen exposed can eliminate an entire hive. Yeah. This is real. And this is the second time it happened um, with the road crew. And the first time I called, they didn't do anything. This time I was so mad, I didn't even call. (laughs) So we're having a break. We're also, you know, we're in the gorge and we're kind of in a wind tunnel. So we want to redesign how to have a better hive system. We're thinking of building like uh, one of those houses where you can put the hives a little bit more under an eave with some wind protection. So we're kind of redoing the whole situation. So you have had bees in the past. And of course, that's your advocacy area. Yeah. You must miss them, having them around. Yeah. I was just hoping somebody would move in this spring into an empty hive, but that didn't happen. It did happen uh, about four years ago, and it was so magic to just stand there. And then all of them just started coming into the hive, and I thought, did someone get a swarm when I was out of town? (laughs) And then, nope, they just popped right in, and that was our are really happy, strong hive. Wow. Um, I think it was, they had, you know, come from somewhere else and had decided that's where they wanted to live. So that, that was really beautiful. So it could happen again. Yeah, absolutely. We have hives out there open. Yeah. Hoping that happens. Yeah. But for now, we're just going to redo sort of a, a, a new concept of, of making it more windproof out here. It's just the wind is crazy and we get these really intense ice storms that you that you don't get just like even a mile away because it's the gorge. Has that always been the case on this property? Yeah, it's getting a little worse uh, when the ice is worse, you know. Um, definitely the weather has shifted so much with the fires. Uh, in the last Eagle Creek fire, we uh, had to leave our house. It got three miles close to us and the only reason we knew that it was that it had jumped the river was because our friend sent us a text from Australia and woke us up (gasps) so we had already been up all night watching the fire from our roof just 360 watching Oregon burn which was terrifying we could hear the trees from across the river blowing up 
And we finally uh, had to have a nap. And we were only asleep for maybe an hour when we got the note. So we ended up packing up and moving to Portland for a week. Oh, my goodness. But your home was spared. Yeah. But it was it was definitely um, scary. And so strange what you end up bringing with you <laughs> when you pack a suitcase. I would guess. What did you find yourself taking? My favorite coat and my favorite boots and a doll someone had made that was sort of a uh, like ode to oneself doll where I added things on it and my passport. And I took the cats. And so you had less than an hour? I left in a couple hours and Theodore, my partner, stayed and loaded up his paintings that he was working on at the time into someone's RV and we drove those and they drove those to Vancouver. And and the staying a week was that necessary because of the the smoke. Oh, and the smoke. The smoke, yeah, it was really bad here. Yeah. But you know, the last fire, the smoke was worse. Was worse for sure. Worse worse for you all as well. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. couldn't go outside for 4 days. We just stayed inside with the air filters on for 4 days. You were inside. I actually drove to Portland with a, a heavy-duty respirator on. I, yes, I think I saw a photo of you in that outfit. I had to do some errands. Yeah. It was an adventure. I felt like I was in a stormtrooper, you know, outfit with my heavy-duty respirator. Your passion for costuming, you know, is one of the fantastic features of you, Um but I doubt that you were really looking forward to costuming in a way that was absolutely necessary. <laughs> no. no, I think it's been really interesting with the whole COVID thing is because I haven't made some incredible masks to wear out. I've really just like put on, um, you know, uh, N95. And, right, right. And, and I keep thinking, now that this is not going away, I need to make something great. Is it maybe your thought that if you make it beautiful, it may not go away? I don't know. You know, I was thinking, do I want to make them out of um, latex and have them fit me? And are they gory or are they beautiful? I mean, I, I could be so many different things. And, you know, I love wearing my gory Halloween costumes and going into... Like I once I was I was my gutsy girl outfit and she's this latex mask that fits perfectly with my face coming off and I went into Nordstrom's and I had my guts hanging out and I found a beautiful red bag and I did a photo shoot until I got kicked out. But now you can wear masks in the store, so it's I'm I'm like I might I should really just take it <laughs> take it to the limit while I can. Well tell me about that. Like what has it been like? COVID I mean, we're in it for eight months now. What's it been like for you? I can't even believe it. I can't even believe it. Um, well, the first 47 days, I stayed at home by myself. And I loved it. You know, I really, it, for me, it was such a, I've been waiting for this. I have been waiting for this to happen. I've been waiting for everything to shut down, for people to actually 
see what they've been putting their energy into and have the opportunity to be stuck at home and to be with themselves, whether or not that's comfortable. And um, I just really reveled in it. Like this has ha- this had to happen. There was, this is the biggest wake up call. And if we aren't getting it, I don't know what's gonna make it happen. So for me, it was, it was wonderful. I had a lot of food stored up and I didn't have to leave my house for 47 days. Um, and that was by choice to leave. And I found myself really slowing down in a different way. You know, I'm a really busy, busy working person. And I tried to do a little bit more art projects for myself. And I I had my two cats and we kind of had this nightly ritual of butting our heads together. You know, I was like, let's all say goodnight, <laughs> you know, and I just ended up sewing, hand stitching till like four in the morning and then getting up at eight. I wasn't sleeping very much. I really enjoyed it and working in the garden. Yeah. And I didn't expect it to keep going because I would thought everybody like go inside, do your thing. And then we let it run its course. And I don't think we let that happen. Did you find yourself uncomfortable or mostly just going, oh, what a relief? Oh, yeah, I mostly just loved it. And I um, I set up a thing where I would have tea every other day on Zoom and people could just join me. And that was based because my grandmother had coffee time every day at three my whole life. And we'd all get together when we were close enough or I was staying with her and later in her life when she moved down the road. So every day at three, we would sit together with my two great aunts. So for me, that's really important. So I tried to bring that as a, a an offering. Um, and at one point, you know, people I didn't even know got on there and we would talk for a couple hours. And I, wow. I loved it. Yeah, I really loved it. Um, and then I didn't like the constraint of just even one thing at three o'clock during the day that constrained me from um, not just doing what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would make a long list and I would do my list and I felt very productive, but I wasn't constrained to going anywhere. And I also loved that I didn't feel like I was missing anything. It was really freeing. And this was also the time of year when the budding was starting to happen. Yes. And so you have lived out there on that land for a while now. 28 years. Yes. Speak about that some. And one of the things that you are is a person who lives listening to the land. And so it's not that you haven't been doing that for years and years and years already. Um, In this 47 days and since, in this COVID time, what have you noticed that you're learning differently, if anything, what's happening with the land? Well, I think what I, what came up when you said that the first thing I remember doing uh, when the flowers would, were really starting to open is I would go and kiss them and I would just like kiss all the flowers. And I was like, oh, they're, these are my little lovers. And, <laughs> and I would kiss the flowers and the cats would follow me. And um, I, I, so love watching little buds. So that was that was one of my favorite things. And and I also I'd go out and hug a tree if I just felt like what's going on. 
you know, after if I listen to too much news, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm just gonna go hug a tree or get out there and get a little dirty. Um, I definitely felt that there was a relief and a break um, from the human flea, you know, always digging or stealing from the world. I mean, it, it was really wonderful to see the glimpses of what recovered so fast. Well, say more about that. The human, what is the word you used? Flea? Flea. Flea. Like, I, I, I sometimes think of us, the humans, as, as a flea on the back of an animal, you know, agitating the planet. And um, definitely felt that there was a relief to have a break from from our agitation. From the agitation of humans. Yeah. And so it was really lovely to see little glimpses of, you know, uh, the air quality getting better in certain areas or animals coming onto the coast, like all the elk that arrived on the coast, you know, when somebody would put a picture up. Like, I just remember, like, crying one day. I was like, oh, look, all the deer and elk that came onto the Oregon coast because nobody was there. You know, reclaiming the spaces is really fascinating to watch. And so as you have have lived there and listening to the land, can you say what that means to you? And I've come up with that phrasing. Is that even accurate phrasing? How would you describe it? Well, I was... As an only child, just grew up on 11 acres. So it doesn't seem like it's, it just seems innately normal for me to be out in nature or even be with nature in technology. Do you know what I mean? I don't feel too separate from it. This is Mary Claire and how it looks from here. Stay with us. We'll be back after this brief break. Robin Wall Kimmerer, who wrote Braiding Sweetgrass, and she speaks of the distinction between sustainability and reciprocity, and suggests that it's the reciprocity that makes for the sustained relationship or the sustained possibilities for the human species. But that reciprocity, uh, in your years listening to and living with the land, what has the listening led you to do for the earth itself to give back? Well, the dancing with the bees for me um, is so fabulous. It's like being becoming um, a tree limb or something that the bees have landed on in a swarm. So when they're swarming, they they usually clump onto a tree or a fence or a motorcycle, whatever they find, right? But when they're on me and we're moving together, I feel like a tree. 
I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm swaying with them. They're so powerful and they push me one direction. And, um, it's like Tai Chi We're we're, we're pushing the energy around us, but there's a uh, 12,000 bees and, and they're definitely in charge of, you know, where we're going. <laughs> I, I, we're steering together. It's definitely a duet. You know, I've, I've always felt the duet of it. It's sort of, out of, it's out of the world. It feels, it feels somewhat like two aliens meeting in the middle. So it's out of the human world. <laughs> yeah. Is that in part because, as you describe it as a duet, no one is leading and no one is following? Right. Aha. Uh -huh. Right. And so this may be precisely how it is when a swarm of bees does land on an actual tree. Yeah. That there's no leading, there's no following, there is this presence of nature with nature, listening to nature. Do you miss that in COVID times without the bees? Yeah, I really do. So you didn't you didn't uh, dance with bees all summer then? No, and I had was planning it. I was actually just about to go look at a, a piece of land to do a dance at. That was on my list for the month of March and to get all like prepared in my mind and what's it going to what we're going to do different. I'd like to, you know, like it to evolve. So what was the next evolution of it? And um, you know, last dance we had 88 people, which was so amazing and uh beforehand I asked everyone to bring a dish of food that was, you know, taking into consideration being pollinated by bees. So everybody was eating pollinated food. And we had um, a long table set up so everyone ate together. And then we did the bee dance, which for me is everyone sitting in a circle. And then I interact with each person and have a moment where they're there's an encountering that's happening that's an aha. Like, I just, I love to watch people's face unfold from fear to um, exaltation. I, you know, I don't want to call it a performance and I don't want to call it the ritual because it's kind of a conglomeration. So it becomes an occurrence. It sounds like, as you describe it, you say it might sound like performance, but it's a presence. It's not performance. It's a listening. And, uh, you know, I thought of how different it is from ballroom dancing. You know, you don't have a Fred and a Ginger. You have these two beings who are in full collaboration. Yeah. And some of them, you know, what's beautiful is... They're mostly on me, but there's a couple hundred. I usually have about twelve to 15,000 bees on my torso. And then there's a couple hundred who are out taking little jaunts and then coming back in and telling everybody, hey, this is what's going on. It's like having a little ocean attached to my body. You know, it's not comfortable. I mean, it looks soft and... Um, sounds soft and tornado-y, but still undulating softness, but it's really, they're all biting to hang on. <laughs> so it's definitely not the most comfortable thing. It's, 
it's hot. It's, it's, they're very, they're very warm. And, you know, they're regulating my temperature and we're regulating each other's temperature. And when you say biting, they're not stinging. No, they're just actually pinching to hold. Like minnows? Yeah. They're yeah. Like, little, little. Just to make sure that they can hang on. Yeah. Because I'm not wearing anything. I don't want them to get tangled up. Right. So, <clears throat> so just, you know, just as they would bite onto a, a tree branch or. Because gravity is gravity. And if they didn't, boom. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. You have to take a break from flying. <laughs> right. They're, they're all like taking little breaks. And so in that instance, and you can only speak from your perspective, is part of what you observe happening with the people in attendance that they too abandon this needing to lead or needing to follow, but rather are right in it with you there for that moment. Yes. yes, And to have this very like slap in the face that, yes, we are all together and we are all in this and we are all the same. And letting the all the crap in the brain leave for a second and just have that realization that we're safe. That sense of belonging, you have you always found that sense of belonging in the natural world? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you find it, though, it sounds like with people as well mm-hmm. and with bees. And the dancing... Is, is harder because of COVID, but, but you mentioned earlier that you also are an alternative health care provider, what's called that in the prevailing system, um, and, and that that for you is, has great similarities with what you've felt in the natural world, listening to the world, and being with the world, and felt with the bees. Say a little more about that and how that's been in COVID. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I I um, I closed my office downtown. I just no longer wanted to say, "Hey, I have a session open at three o'clock every day on social media or something." I just couldn't do it anymore, so I decided just to let it sleep for a little while. So I just do long distance sessions from home, and that's I've been doing that um, transparent body energy realignment work. Uh, since I was 18. And so so this feels fine to be doing it at a distance? Yeah. I've been doing long-distance energy work now for, mm, I don't know, at least 18 years. I just didn't start advertising it. I didn't, you know, I just thought, well, whatever happens on that, just took a little break from it. And it's, it's nice for it to just naturally rebloom, kind of. You know, there's this interesting theory that viruses have been around from the beginning of time and that part of their function, if you step back and don't bring in the fear and the positive and negative kind of valence stuff that we humans with our frontal lobes attach, um, their job is to bring things back into balance. Yeah, that's exactly what I felt when I was like, I was like, finally, this needs to happen so bad. Uh Uh-huh. We need to see that. And what's your sense? Do you think we're still on the cusp? Well, I, I feel like it's all become politics and it's, and, and it's getting lost. And the ability to have the lesson mm. is being covered up by the politics of it, which is really sad. Do you think that can sustain? I, I'm not sure the virus is going to let up. You know, it may turn into politics for now and then 
give us another six months to see if we're ready to learn. And whether we are or not, it's doing the work that it's doing, whatever that may be. I feel like I, I was waiting for it before it happened. I went out to lunch with a friend in um, November, and I said, we really need to enjoy this because this might be our last nice lunch. And she thought, what? I'm like, mm. no, I just, I wasn't surprised at all. I just, every time I went to Portland, I thought to myself, I need to do something special because this is not going to last. Yeah. Well, so in all of this and given, you know, what you see out your window right now is rain and cloudy stuff. Um, but given the way that you move through the world as a dancer and as a person who has the privilege of dancing with bees, as an artist and as a uh, tea time observer, all of those, what would you give to people from where you live and where you stand that would be some kind of guiding wisdom You've always struck me as a wise one. So what would that be? I really feel like this is the time to um, to get to know yourself. If you don't feel like you've ever had time to get to know yourself because you've been so busy uh, pleasing the rest of the world, how, how can we please ourselves at this time? And giving ourselves permission to do things for ourselves and to find our, our magic. I was wondering what magic looks like and if part of the magic is increasing comfort with going with the flow and creating from there. Would that be right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And also um, maybe doing something you've never done before, getting a little uncomfortable. I mean, it's already, it's already been uncomfortable, right? <laughs> I was thinking for myself, like, what's something that I need to... I'd like to do something I'd like to do that I'm uncomfortable with, and that is like doing uh, live feed video stuff. You know, I've I tried during this time. Like, okay, I'm going to just go out to the garden and do a live feed, and then I get to the garden. I'm like, mm, no, I can't do this. This feels uncomfortable. But I know that that's a place to share a lot of information with people and to... to um, give people some comfort. So, yeah. Well, do you think of anything else before we wrap this up? Or? I just love to say that the way we met was on the dance floor. Yes. And I often think of our wonderful dances together. So I just want you to know how much um, those times were precious. They were so precious. And I wouldn't know you if it weren't for the dance floor. Maybe I would. But I love that that's the way we... We met. And for so many years, we just danced without right. speaking. Before and we ever spoke with each other. I love that so much. And that's, I, that's the same thing with the bee dance for me, is that moment where there's, there's, it's not about speaking. It's about listening, but also being spoken to by the swarm and being witnessed by all of these eyes. Right. I mean, bees have like five eyes, so I don't know, 15,000 times five. That's quite a few visions coming towards you. Wow. It is fantastic to speak with you, as always. Thank you. Okay. 
Oh, all right, Sarah. Thank you so much for your work and your presence. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. I think this is great. I think people totally need this. We need each other, just like, you know, we're all connected in that natural world, that eye contact you make with people in the circle at the bee dance to help them remember that they belong, too. So thank you. You've been listening to How It Looks From Here, an educational collaboration between Full Ecology and the System Zoo. How It Looks From Here was created and produced by me, Mary Claire, and Joe LaVisca. Editing by Joe and Doug LaVisca. Music by Cedar Mathers Wynn and Gary Ferguson. You can find us on social media and at www.fullecology.com. Support for this podcast comes from our listeners like you. Mm-hmm.